This is The Guardian. Today, why is it taking so long to free the people held hostage in Gaza? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's just like she appeared from the dark. The way she acted just showed me she was there. She was very much herself. It's really quite incredible, but at the same time, it's incredibly fraught because she has come back, Norwit has come back, so many people have not come back. Our home is burned, the war is raging. It's, it's hard to explain how impossible this situation is. We last spoke to Sharon Livshitz a few days after Hamas fighters had forced their way into the kibbutz where she grew up, a few miles from the border of Gaza. Her parents, Yecheved and Oded, were among those that Hamas took hostage. They're both in their 80s and have spent decades advocating for peace. For weeks, Sharon heard nothing. She didn't know if they were alive or dead until the call came that Hamas was freeing her mum and another woman, Nurit Cooper. Sharon took the first flight she could get from the UK to Tel Aviv. She hugged Yechevid, who was thinner after weeks of being held hostage. And hours later, they were on a stage speaking to the world's media, and Yechevid told her story. It looks like a spider web. When they arrived, they arrived into a large... Uh, Yechevid's return was bittersweet. She still has no idea what's happened to her husband. Indeed, she's one of only five hostages to have come back in the month since Hamas launched its attack. Around 240 other people are still missing. The most important thing for her is that her heart is in Gaza with the rest of the people, with my father, with the children, with the babies, with the mothers, with the teenagers, with all these people that we know, we lived our whole life with. And I think it's very important to remember that altogether the story hasn't moved on. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said he won't stop his war on Hamas until they're obliterated and the hostages are freed. But his bombardment of Gaza has already killed more than 10,000 Palestinian people, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas. More than a million people have been displaced. I am petrified by the sheer loss of life. I feel that we have to lament and hurt with each person that is killed, injured, traumatised. 
I am at a point I lost so much. It makes me feel really, really sad. I believe in the sanctity of life, in the idea that every life matter. I also know that we were slaughtered for simply being who we are. I also know that for us, life will never come back. And it's not really my job to, to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but I think my job is to complicate it, um, both sides, and to stay human. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, how Hamas's hostage-taking has changed Israel. Bethan McKernan, you're the Jerusalem correspondent for The Guardian. It's been a month now since Hamas launched its attack and they killed 1,400 people in Israel and they took more than 240 people hostage. Since then, Hamas has released four people and the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force, has rescued one more. What do we know about who is still being held hostage? I mean, the people who are still being held hostage are basically from every walk of life across Israeli society. Some of them are children. One of them is a nine-month-old baby. There are elderly people. There are soldiers. There are Bedouin citizens of Israel. And there are also, we think, around 50 migrant workers from Thailand who were working in their kibbutz harvests when when the attack happened. The number of people that the Israeli government's saying are being held hostage has changed over time. Why is that? Yeah, so so the numbers keep going up rather than going down, which is not to be expected, really. Basically, it's taken a very long time to go through DNA matching of all of the bodies and the remains because some of them are burned and some of them are so badly damaged. And on top of that, right, we just don't know where the hostages are. I mean, I think the current intelligence, not just Israeli intelligence, but American as well, is that the vast majority of them are underground in Hamas's tunnel network. So you would hope that would mean they were a bit safer. But also, I don't think Hamas fully knows exactly who they have and where they're being held because some people were, it seems, taken by other militant groups and by criminal gangs and by civilians. So they're all over the strip, we think. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you mentioned the tunnel network that Hamas has built underneath Gaza. How extensive is that? Well, you've basically got the Gaza City that exists above ground and you've got the Gaza City that exists below ground. It's an extremely extensive system that runs very, very deep, deep enough that they actually have to use oxygen filters to make sure that the air is still breathable down there. It's used to both bring things in and out of the Strip, either like via Egypt or through Israel, as well as to house essentially anything, any sensitive military equipment or headquarters or planning or even the top commanders of Hamas, they essentially live underground. They rarely go above ground because if they go above ground, Israeli drones can see them, they can track them. And this is why I think the attack was such a surprise because it was planned in such a analog way without any use of phones or any kind of digital equipment. Have Hamas's leaders said anything about why they've taken these hostages? Are they hoping for a prisoner swap? They haven't directly addressed why the hostages were taken. 
you know, there's 5,000 Palestinians in Israeli jails right now. That includes women and kids. That also includes people who were tried in military courts. So not the same process that an Israeli citizen would get. And the, the conviction rate in military courts is something like 98 point something percent. It's clearly a system that's not fit for purpose. So Hamas and the other Palestinian factions would argue that these 5,000 Palestinians are also hostages. I mean, that's not strictly the case. Like some of them definitely have committed terrorist attacks, but there are also people being held in administrative detention, which is basically when the Israelis can arrest you on the suspicion that you're going to commit a crime. But in the 2000s, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, he agreed to prisoner swap for this one Israeli soldier. And in return, more than a thousand Palestinian prisoners were released um, to both the West Bank, East Jerusalem and to Gaza, including the guy who is now head of the strip in Gaza, Yahya Sinwar. So, you know, in the past, that really kind of asymmetric deal, I think, suggested to Hamas that if they could seize more than one person, if they could take 10 people back to Gaza, then they would have a really significant leverage and bargaining tool. There are, as you mentioned, a mixture of people being held hostage, civilians, including children and elderly people, as well as IDF soldiers. Do different groups of people have different value to Hamas? Hamas has said they'll release everybody in exchange for the 5,000 Palestinians currently in Israeli jails. Hamas has also said they'll release the women who are not soldiers in exchange for a ceasefire. So, yeah, I think definitely there's a distinction being drawn between people with different nationalities, women and children, and people who were serving at military bases when they were taken. It seems the people in uniform, that they'll probably hang on to the longest. What is the Israeli government's plan to get the hostages out? So far, the Israeli government's plan just appears to be increased the the tempo and the pressure of the offensive, keep bombing Gaza harder and harder and harder in order to pressure Hamas into releasing the hostages. The bombing over Gaza has intensified tonight. Communication lines have also been cut off, which means tomorrow will likely begin for many Gazans, like today did, digging through rubble, looking for families and survivors. And, I mean... We're a month in, and that clearly hasn't worked, right? I mean, the hostages are the only leverage that Hamas have at this point. And there's a split, I think, in Netanyahu's war cabinet between one wing that wants to prioritise the military campaign of crushing Hamas and the other wing that wants to prioritise rescuing the hostages. And it's very vocal that the, the more intense the fighting is, the harder it's going to be to to free them. So, you know, this is what all of Israel's allies have been saying to them, is that your best chance of getting these people home is a negotiated deal. But so far, that is not on the Israeli agenda. Even though Netanyahu says it is, I think his actions and the actions of the Israeli government to date suggest that it's not. Mayanne Sherman, your son, Ron, he's 19, and he's doing his military service at the moment with the Israeli Defence Force. He's been taken hostage by Hamas. How did you find out that he'd gone? 
It was that uh, terrible Saturday morning at about 6.30 in the morning, we uh, received uh, text messages from him. What he thought was a very heavy missile attack on his base. He told us, um, mom, something is not as usual. And, you know, my son is a defense uh, soldier. He, you know, he's not a, a combat soldier. He's just, he's like a clerk, city, helping the economy for the um, Gaza Street uh, citizens. He helped the, the traders to uh, bring their goods inside Israel and back to the Gaza Street. And after a while, he wrote us, mom, um, uh, they say that there are um, terrorists inside the base. And I have to admit, I wasn't even worried, really, at first. It sounded so, you know, surrealistic, something that it, we didn't think it could be possible. I told him, you have to calm down. There's not, there are no terrorists inside the base. And afterwards, he said, I can hear Arabic language outside the, the shelter. And uh, his last uh, sentences were, I love you all, mom, with red hearts, and it's over. And then we started, you know, to hear about terrorists inside Israel. That was the time that I understood he was telling me exactly what was going on. And I, I didn't believe my son. And I cannot, you know, this is maybe the, the worst of all for me. He, he just needed my help and I, didn't, I couldn't help him. That's an impossible sort of guilt for you to hold. And as you're saying, there is nothing you could have done. You no, know, I logically, I know that I couldn't help him. But, you know, that's something that you can't stop thinking about that your son needs you and you cannot help him. Yeah. After uh, four or five hours, at this point, we thought he was dead. We didn't We didn't know what to think. I was just, you know, I couldn't think even. I just walked in circles uh, in my yard. But at about uh, two uh, in, the, in, in the afternoon, we received a video. And uh, in this video, you can see him clearly alive, uninjured. Uh, with two other soldiers, all dressed in T-shirts and shorts. You know, they just filmed the, the exact moment of the kidnapping. They walked him into the Gaza Strip, and for me it was, you know, it was a great relief, as crazy as it sounds, because I knew that he is alive. I mean, you were clearly in contact with Ron a lot, you know, for him to wake up and to be texting you. Can you just tell me a bit about what he's like as a person? And the last, you know, the last years, he was very self-confident, had many, many friends. He's very friendly. Uh, you know, during the years, I learned to trust him and to know that he is, you know, he knows exactly how to deal with different kinds of situations better than, than I do. So, for example, he wants to be a lawyer. During high school last year, we had very big exams and he just studied for two or three days when I always told him on you didn't study a lot it's it's <laughs> you have to study more and he said no mom I know I know don't worry it will and he got hungry at the end you know I don't know how he where he is I don't know if he's alone or with other hostages but he's a strong boy he is part of the Israeli defense force what communication have you had from them and what communication have you had from the Israeli government? We don't get any information. We have, uh, really, we get a, a lot of support from the IDF, but we don't know anything. I hope that Israel government is doing whatever they can in order to bring their hostages back. You know, it's sometimes I think to myself, why don't they share the information with us? But afterwards, I tell myself, what do you want? They can't share, you know, information with so many people. It could hurt their negotiation, maybe. 
How do you feel about the way the Israeli government is handling this crisis, the full-scale attack on Gaza? Does that feel to you like the right way of bringing this to a close and getting the hostages free? I really trust them. I, I must admit at this point, you know, it's something that never happened before. So many hostages taken at one day. You cannot compare it to anything else. Bethan, I've been speaking to people whose family members are being held hostage and they have different views on what the Israeli government's doing right now. Of course, Netanyahu said he won't cease fire on Gaza until Hamas releases the hostages, but that he might consider what he calls tactical little pauses in the fighting to let hostages out and aid in to Gaza. How targeted is the Israeli government being in what it's hitting in Gaza, given that it's trying to protect the hostages? Basically, the way it works is between wars, the IDF builds up a target bank of things that they're going to hit in the next round of fighting. And these are, you know, targets that are either people or buildings or sites, and they, they're all signed off by, you know, military lawyers who say that it's within the realms of collateral damage and civilian casualties, like the the target is important enough that, that it, it justifies X amount of potential civilian casualties. But then in wartime, they usually exhaust the target bank pretty quickly and it becomes the principle is to create as much damage as possible in order to pressure the fighting group into giving up because there's a tipping point usually where enough civilian infrastructure has been destroyed, you know, medical infrastructure, roads, bridges, bakeries, until it becomes untenable for the group to keep fighting and that is what they're doing in Gaza right now on like a scale we've never witnessed before. I don't really see how that's compatible with keeping the hostages alive and bringing them home. You know, they really do not know how the underground network works. I know that for a fact. They have a pretty good overview of above-ground Gaza. Um, you know, they study it every day, the movement of commanders, mid-level commanders, fighters, they kind of have a pretty good picture of what happens above ground, but underground, essentially, they're blind. So what you're saying is, it doesn't seem that the Israeli government has enough intelligence to be hitting Hamas in a targeted way. At the moment, it's causing large-scale destruction. And the result of that is that, reportedly, more than 10,000 people have been killed in Gaza, and there's a humanitarian crisis. So in every round of fighting, in every war, we see that it becomes more and more acceptable for more and more civilian targets to be hit. Having covered the last few wars here, it's very, very clear that civilian life in Gaza matters less and less every time. And right now, I mean, the mood in Israel is purely just revenge. Revenge. It's really hard to describe quite how unifies Israeli society is over the fact that they want Hamas to be eradicated and they, they don't care how many civilians die in achieving that goal. Really? Yeah. So that's just normal Israeli people? Yeah. Even people I thought were left-wing. I think the best example of this is earlier this week, this open letter signed by dozens of Israeli doctors and medical professionals was circulated in the Hebrew media and... These doctors said 
every, they said Al-Shifa hospital in, in Gaza, every hospital in Gaza is a legitimate target for our army to hit. These are terrorist infrastructure hubs. And I mean, I'm worried that once this is over in Gaza, we're going to have an entire generation of traumatized children who are going to think exactly the same way. Bethan, Netanyahu has been in and out of power since 1996. But, you know, before Hamas's attack, directly before that, he had been suffering with dire approval ratings, mass protests across Israel because of the proposed judicial reform. How has this left his standing with Israeli people? I mean, yeah, Netanyahu has on and off been prime minister since 1996 as you say, right? He has completely shaped the country in his image in the last 30-odd years. He's a very divisive character. He has been for at least a decade now. He's been plagued with corruption scandals and ongoing trials for corruption, you know, and he's refused to step down. And in the elections a year ago, he managed to persuade a few very fringe far-right parties to merge into one slate. Mm. And then they crossed the electoral threshold and went into coalition with Netanyahu. They want a country that is run on biblical law and that prioritizes Israel's Jewish character above its democratic character. You know, they're very clear that that's what they want. This is part of the reason for the chaos, right, is that he, he brought these guys into the government and, and they're not up to the job. I saw a poll from a university, and obviously, you know, these aren't massive sample sizes, so you have to take them with a grain of salt, but Something like only 7% of the people's surveys believe that he's fit to, to prosecute the war. And something like 75 going up to 80% of people want him to resign after the war. Some people want him to resign during the war. But yeah, like absolutely, he seems to be at the end of his political rope. But, you know, saying that, he has gotten out of, he, he survived things that would have ended the career of any other politician again and again. And if the war goes well, from an Israeli perspective, if they do eradicate Hamas, his approval ratings may go up and he may be seen as, you know, a wartime leader and he may be able to cling on. But I think the, the likelihood of that is getting less likely day by day. Right. And in and amongst all of this division, a lot of the families of those who've been taken hostage are saying they're fearful that their family members are being forgotten, that the hostages are being forgotten in this situation. And, you know, I know a lot of them were angry that Netanyahu took weeks to meet up with them. When they did meet up with him, you know, one of the things they were demanding was a, an everyone for everyone prisoner swap. How amenable is he to that idea, the idea of a prisoner swap? Currently, not at all amenable to it. I mean, the hostage families, I think, are, you know, they're maybe like the only column or the only voice in Israel right now that is saying, please don't bomb Gaza to smithereens. You know, our families are there. Our loved ones are there. Please, you know, prioritize bringing them home. Please do whatever Hamas asks. Like, if they want all 5,000 prisoners in Israeli jails, give them the, the prisoners. I mean, historically, Israel has always been very, very, very keen to rescue hostages. Israel has mounted huge operations just to bring back bodies. So I think the idea now that these 240 people are being deprioritized, it's a difficult thing for the country to grapple with. 
Yeah. How's the Israeli government working with other countries in the Middle East to try and get Hamas to release the hostages? There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes diplomacy work over the last month, mainly involving the Qataris and the Americans trying to release some of the hostages in exchange for basically a pause in the fighting at this point or allowing fuel into the Gaza Strip, which is needed to keep the generators on. The patience that the region, the Arab states around Israel had for this for this campaign to eradicate Hamas is wearing very, very thin given the huge civilian toll. Coming up, the family pushing for a non-violent resolution to the hostage crisis. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Udi Garen, your cousin, Tal Jaime, was taken hostage from his kibbutz near Itzhak. Tell us a bit about him and, you know, your relationship. Were you close growing up? Tal and I were born three months apart. A lot of my childhood was spent in that kibbutz because this is where all of my mother's family lives. Tal himself is a pretty shy guy. He is... He always has a smile on his face. He's always the first to help. He's a great family man. He's married. He has two twins who are nine years old. He has a son who's six years old named Udi as well. And he's a civil engineer. And, you know, he he lives this, I would say, ordinary, happy life. What do you know about the circumstances in which Tal was taken? 
At some point, there was word that there are infiltrators trying to get into the kibbutz. Tal and his uh, brother-in-law, they went outside to confront the people who were coming in. His wife still corresponded with him up until about 8 uh, in the morning, and that was the last time she spoke with him. And that was it. Tal's phone was traced to Gaza. Well, Netanyahu's argued that the only way to get Hamas to free the people held hostage is to put pressure on them. And he's saying that in relation to the Israeli government launching this full-scale attack. What do you think of that? We haven't tried. We haven't pulled out. We haven't done anything to prove that he's right. I think that if the uh, hostages are top priority, we need to do everything everything in our power to bring them back. And if that means that we need to have a ceasefire for three or four or five days, and it would have implications, obviously it would work in Hamas's benefit, fine, but we're going to bring our people home. If that doesn't work, okay, fine, I've got nothing to say. Right, so yeah, you clearly do not feel confident that the Israeli government is doing everything it can to get the hostages freed. First of all, he is betting on my cousin's life. If he's playing hardballs, he's gambling on the hostages' lives. If he and Israeli government, and also that's what I believe, are everybody saying that Hamas is a terrorist group who cares, that cares nothing about their civilians, then if they don't care about the civilian population of Gaza, and these are the people we're mainly hurting, how does this make sense? This argument doesn't hold. It just doesn't make sense because we're not putting any pressure on Hamas. They can stay in the tunnels for months and months and months. In the meanwhile, the hostages will die. In what do you think would be the best way to get Hamas to free the people that they're keeping hostage? A long-lasting resolution for this situation will never be the war alone. Never, ever. Because Hamas is an idea of resistance. And as long as we, Israel, and I'm taking responsibility for this, as long as we, Israel, don't create a new status quo in this region that would allow Gazan civilians to dream of a better future than what Hamas offers them, we will never defeat Hamas. There's absolutely nothing more important than bringing the hostages back. I think it's crucial on so many levels, not just because my cousin is one of them, because right now this spiral of anger and anxiety and vengeance and dehumanization and death all around us, this spiral can only be broken with hope. There is absolutely no other way that we can fix this situation if it's not for hope. I'm saying it as a strategic goal that the Israeli government should aspire for in order for this nation of Israel to move forward. Bethan, how hopeful is this situation looking for the hostages? How hopeful can the families be that people will be back with them anytime soon. I don't know. I don't know. 
I think for some of these people, it's going to be probably luck at the draw, depending on who they're being held by and how how much of an open line they have to the Hamas leadership and people who are actively trying to do a deal. All I can point to, right, is Sharon's mother. Four people were released and one person was rescued. You know, it has been done, which means that it can be done again. And that's a very small thing to hold on to, given the intensity of the ground invasion that is currently happening in Gaza. But, you know, it's there. It's a very, very small slither of hope, but it is there. Bethan, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Bethan McKernan. You can read her reporting and that of the rest of our team in Israel and Palestine at theguardian.com. There's also a really moving interview on the site right now by Simon Hattenstern. He's spoken to three mums whose children have been taken hostage. That article's called All We Want Is Them Home. Thank you to Sharon Lifshitz, Mayan Sherman and Udi Guren for speaking to me. I really appreciate it. I'm Hannah Moore, and I produced this episode alongside Ruth Abrahams. The sound designer was Adam Bransbury, and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 